0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on the 4th of November and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with the permission of Worcester News. I'm Phil and the team this week comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin and our readers today are Catherine, Hello and Jane. Hello. I would like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, etc., followed by the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, some sport, and then finishing up with a thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and, of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone. That's 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. So... Let's start this week with the telephone numbers which Catherine is going to supply.
1: Uh, First number is Wilds Lane. That's here uh, where we are recording. 01905 767 766. Listeners should be aware this is not manned daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non-emergency 101. NHS direct... One, one, one. Out of hours medical assistance, 0300 123 3211. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 Worcester Hub, 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council here to help. 01905 option 3. The Community Risk Team, especially specialising in fire safety, 0800 Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800 Sense Adventures Walking for the Visually Impaired. Telephone D. Jones on 01684 or on her mobile 07920 Samaritans 116123. Worcester Live. 01905 611 427 Malvern Theatres 01684
0: Thanks, Catherine. And now, what's on locally? I haven't found an awful lot, but there certainly are some things to look forward to. On the 6th of November, there's an ABBA tribute night. That's at 7 o'clock at the Swan Theatre. And running from the 9th of November to the 14th, there's a singing and dancing evening called Happy Together, which is brought to you by the Worcester Musical Theatre Company. And here I apologise, I'm pretty sure that's at the Swan. But do check before you go if you're thinking of going. On the 10th of November, Ed Byrne, the comedian, is appearing at Huntingdon Hall, and that starts at 7.30. And then on Thursday the 11th at 5 to 11, there's an Act of Remembrance at the County War Memorial. And now I'll get Jane to read out this week's headlines.
2: On Friday the 29th of October, They are trying to put my business down the toilet. Cafe hit by campaign of Brad Reviews. Saturday the 30th of October, Rush for Vaccines, sees jab rationed monday the first of november ambulances placed on red alert tuesday the second of november rejection of nhs cash is madness wednesday third of november unwitting victim on souped up bike thursday the fourth of november commuters fury over rail services
0: Thank you very much. Now let's look at the details behind those headlines and we'll start with last Friday, which was October the 29th, and that reasonably memorable headline, they are trying to put my business down the toilet. The owner of a top-rated coffee shop fears for his business after allegedly being targeted by malicious reviews on Google. Francini Café de Colombia in Angel Place has won awards for its five-star ratings, but is being targeted with what the owner believes are malicious reviews. Two one-star reviews have been left on Google this week, and staff believe they're the result of a personal vendetta against a barista. The reviews single out one member of staff with malicious jibes. Owner Francini Osorio... Is consulting with his solicitors and the staff member, who we are not naming, said they, felt that they were left feeling distressed, depressed and experiencing sleepless nights. Mr. Osario said, it's bullying. It's affected my business. It is creating a really bad reputation for our business and creating a really bad problem for this kid because wherever he is going to go, it might happen again. I'm very concerned, concerned about my business and concerned about my staff as well. They have been trying to really put my business down the toilet with the comments they've made, which obviously aren't true. He continued, We're probably one of the best cafes in the city and our hygiene and standards are very high, which is why we have been twice made best of the best on TripAdvisor. People recognise our quality and our service and how polite we are to everybody. Francini Café de Colombia is the number one rated coffee shop in Worcester on TripAdvisor, with a five-star rating on the review site and on Facebook. Its Google review rating has dropped to 4.9 because of the negative reviews, which said the barista had, I quote, an odd smell, and both advised people to visit elsewhere. We spoke to our solicitor and this is going to go a bit further, said the owner. Now we need to set an example to other people that they can't do this and businesses will suffer. It's very selfish. We want to stop people doing this to other businesses. He continued, We think it's very unfair and very selfish and there are no words to express how I feel about my staff and my business. It's very rare for us to get a complaint. The last six years since we've been open, we've had either one complaint or two.
1: Thank you, Phil. So the headline for Saturday and Sunday, October the 30th, 31st, was Rush for Vaccines, sees Jabs, Rationed. A pop-up flu vaccine clinic proved so popular in Worcester, organisers have run out of vaccines for people under 65. Younger people have been asked to stay away from the vaccination centre at the city's racecourse this weekend so older patients can be prioritised. In an update shared on Facebook, Worcester City Primary Care Network confirmed that no jabs will be administered to people under 65 today. That was last Saturday. The Post said, after another record-breaking week for vaccinations in Worcester, we've unfortunately run out of the flu vaccine for patients under 65 this week. So if you're aged under 65, please wait to visit. Worcester Racecourse until we update this page. We have some limited stock of the flu vaccine given to those patients aged 65 and over, but please check our Facebook page before you travel to ensure you don't have a wasted journey. It continued, currently will be open as planned for patients aged 65 and over tomorrow, that Saturday, for as long as our supply allows. We're expecting more vaccine to arrive soon, but thank you to the people of Worcester for your enthusiasm and determination to keep our community safe this winter. Watch this space. We'll be back to full service very soon. We previously reported how hundreds flocked to the newly set-up racecourse site for their vaccinations. There's been a huge surge in people opting to get the flu jab, with 500 people vaccinated in just four hours earlier this week. The mass vaccination centre only opened at Worcester Racecourse on September 23rd and already thousands of patients have been vaccinated, with queues occasionally building up outside. In a little over two weeks, more than 11,000 patients received the flu jab at the centre, well over a quarter of the 40,000 people in Worcester who are eligible. The new centre is a walk-in clinic with GPs able to send out invites to patients in advance. This has meant waiting times can be unpredictable, but staff say it rarely exceeds more than 10 minutes. For more information and updates on the flu vaccinations, go to WorcesterCityPCN.co.uk or search Worcester City Primary
2: Care Network on Facebook. And this is the, the headline for, uh, for Monday, November 1st. Ambulances placed on red alert. So the ambulances are on highest risk rating. West Midlands Ambulance Chiefs moved the service to the highest risk rating this week, warning serious harm or death is almost certain. The transition to the extraordinary Level 2 out of 25 means the service expects patients to suffer catastrophic consequences with repeated serious harm or death almost certain. This is the first time the service has reached this risk level in its history. The move comes after ambulances with critically ill patients on board have been routinely held up outside A&E departments across the region, sometimes for waits in excess of 10 hours. Handovers are meant to take 15 minutes. Earlier this month, a patient died after waiting for more than five hours in the back of an ambulance at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. An investigation has been launched by Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Trust and West Midlands Ambulance Trust into what happened. A report to the West Midlands Ambulance Service Board on October the fourth showed the average waiting time for an ambulance arriving at Worcestershire Royal Hospital was two hours. And there are growing fears that backlogs will have a catastrophic effect on patients – who are both waiting to be transferred to A&E departments or waiting for an ambulance to arrive. A predicted 15,600 ambulance hours are set to be lost this month as a result of the delayed handovers. Despite hospital staff's best efforts to reduce waiting times, they are continually being crippled by bed shortages and a lack of staff. The situation is also said to be taking a significant toll on paramedics, who are calling the crisis the worst pressure we have ever experienced. GMB Union, a general trade union with over 600,000 UK members, has now urged the West Midlands Ambulance Service to declare a major incident over the catastrophic crisis. GMB senior organiser Stuart Richards has said that waiting times are a delayed consequence of a decade of ruinous cuts. He said, This is another sobering mid-pandemic example of the understaffing crisis in our NHS. The pressure is unbearable after a decade of ruinous cuts. Significant delays are catastrophic for the patients and staff working in the ambulance service – he continued GMB members are left to support patients for hours on end, even scrabbling around trying to find food for patients while they wait in the cold outside hospitals. West Midland's ambulance service must declare a major incident so incident centres can be set up and specialist doctors brought in to prevent disaster. A maximum rating of twenty-five means that every one of the service's risk categories is at the maximum. In the report released by the West Midlands Ambulance Service Board last week, the head of risk warned, we believe that the consequence of prolonged handover delays is one of the biggest risks that our organisation, and therefore patients, faces. The report goes on to state that the delays mean patients are not given the optimum patient care or experience, and it adds... Unfortunately, there have been several cases where severe patient harm has occurred due to the hospital delay, resulting in several serious incidents. Although a significant delays and harm to patients awaiting handover at hospital has and continues to occur, there is perhaps a greater risk to patients in the community who cannot receive a timely and appropriate ambulance response because of the ambulance being held at the hospital. Patients waiting for assistance are on the increase, and it's not unusual to see over 200 incidents outstanding, many of which can be for several hours. The Board says that efforts are being made to divert 999 callers elsewhere if they don't require emergency care. Ambulances are also trying, where possible, to treat patients on the scene to avoid bringing them to hospital. And the board has also recognised a significant impact on the staff in its report. The impact on patients is distressing and unsafe, but this also impacts our staff in various ways, it added. These situations are stressful and they are effectively undertaking a care assistant role rather than utilising their actual paramedic skills in the pre-hospital environment. They're encountering continual stress and frustration due to the inability to respond to other patients and greater exposure to stressful and upsetting patient conditions, feeling helpless in some cases. Not only are frontline and patient facing staff affected, but call staff are experiencing a relentless and unforeseen level of call demand. The hours lost during September, for instance, acquires to losing approximately 1,300 12-hour ambulance shifts over the month and subsequently the ability of those crews to respond to patients waiting. We have contacted the West Midlands Ambulance Service for comment, but they have yet to respond. And I can add to that that we had to go to A&E, my partner and I, on Sunday at about four in the morning, we were told there was a seven hour wait and there were six ambulances outside. So we came away.
0: Thank you, Jane. What an important story that is. We stay with health services now for Tuesday's headline, which is Rejection of NHS Cash Madness. That is, a councillor has described it as madness. A decision to reject a plea for much-needed funding for the NHS from a major developer building thousands of homes in Worcestershire has been called madness by a councillor. Worcester City Council's Planning Committee rejected the plea by Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust for £1.84 million from developer Welbeck Land, which is building more than 2,200 homes to the south of the city between St Peter's and Kempsey. The hospital said the money, which had already been rejected by Witchavon District Council's planning committee, would be used to ensure new and future patients were cared for properly and to prevent the already packed hospital from becoming even more oversubscribed. Council planning officers had warned that if more money was given to the hospital trust, it would be at the expense of the number of affordable homes that would be built. City Councillor Alan Amos called the decision madness and said fewer affordable homes was a compromise worth paying for the county's hospital to receive more money. This is for up to 2,204 dwellings, he said, and so we are talking about between 8,000 and 10,000 people. The hospital trust can't cope with the current population, he said during a City Council planning meeting at the Guildhall. He said the satellite developments may not be built within the city boundary, but the people who lived there would be using Worcester for services and facilities. And if there was a chance the acute trust could get the money, then the council should pursue it due to the enormity of the problem. Councillor Jenny Barnes said the money would be available to the hospital from the government when the homes were built. She said, Whilst I do truly believe that more money should go into the NHS, I don't think it should be at the expense of affordable houses for those people who desperately need it. Councillor Pat Agar said it was heartbreaking to have to say no to the NHS, but was happy that funding would be made available elsewhere for the hospital once the homes were built. Planning applications, particularly large-scale proposals, are usually approved in principle before planners and the developers work out funding agreements. This is known as Section 106 money to pay for infrastructure such as bus routes, schools, community centres and parks. The Hospital Trust made a request for 3.4 million in 2019, which was rejected by all three planning committees over fears it would damage years of challenging contract discussions between the councils and the developers, as well as jeopardise agreed funding in other areas.
1: Right. So the next story is Unwitting Victim on Souped Up Bike. A tragic barber died on a souped-up bike. A man who died in a high-speed crash was riding a motorbike that was more powerful than he realised. An inquest into the death of Marlon Vella heard his bike had been sold on after being seized from its original owner by the Metropolitan Police, but police had not picked up that it had been upgraded to a more powerful model. The popular barber died after the Yamaha bike he was riding took a bend at around 55 miles an hour, overtaking a car, before mounting a curb and crashing into a tree. A police car behind Mr Vella was not following him, but was responding to a separate emergency call, the inquest heard. Coroner Nicholas Lane said the power of the bike being unknown to Mr Vella, could have been a contributing factor, one of many that led to the tragic death of the 21-year-old. The coroner said he'd found that a black Yamaha scooter with the same registration as Mr Vella's was seized by Met Police in March 2019 due to that previous owner having no insurance. The Met Police later processed the scooter for sale through an auction company. It would appear the scooter was purchased by Mr Vella, Marlon's dad, Emmanuel, the coroner said. The vehicle identification number that was noted on the vehicle, seized, is identical to the one on the scooter Marlon was driving. He said the vehicle was a 2249 cc rather than 124 cc and this was not recorded by met police the fact the vehicle had been changed did not appear to have been picked up by anybody in the met police during the seizure process prior to the sale it's clearly most unfortunate Marlon, through no fault of his own or his father's when purchasing the bike, came to be riding a 249cc scooter when the logbook showed it should have been a 144cc model. Mr Vella from Worcester died in the crash in Primsland Way, Droitwich on April the 27th 2020. The inquest heard from PC John Smart, who told the inquest he'd been called to a domestic violence incident, so had put his police car on blue lights prior to the crash. PC Smart said he'd turned into Primsland Way at speed, and in front he saw Marlon on the bike that was a bit of a blur as it sped off. I was shocked, PC Smart said. The bike must have been going at some speed, because I was above the limit myself. He said he then came across the crash involving Mr Vella and was asked by the coroner when he knew it was serious. Probably from the start, PC replied. At no stage were you pursuing the bike, the coroner asked. No, sir, PC Smart replied. Coroner Lane read out the toxicology and pathology reports and said that the medical cause of death had been reported as chest injuries. He said that those reports had also shown Mr Vella had cannabis in his system, which he said would not have helped with the driving. The coroner said it was unclear whether Mr Vella had reacted to the presence of the police or been distracted by the police car's lights and sirens, but in any event he'd been going too fast around the bend. It might also be correct to say Marlon was inexperienced riding the 249cc model, said the coroner. It was possible this meant his ability to drive the bike at higher speeds round Benz was diminished. Coroner Lane recorded a verdict of road traffic collision at Worcestershire Coroner's Court in Starport on Tuesday, November the 3rd.
2: And this is the story for today, Thursday, November the 4th. Commuters' fury over rail services. Rail services are chaotic. The frustrated commuters are being warned that chaotic West Midlands train services may last until the new year. People have shared their frustrations with the rise in cancelled trains between Worcester and Birmingham as West Midlands Railway claims a shortage of drivers has caused issues. The COVID-19 pandemic is being blamed for impacting on the railway service's training programmes, which it said it has accelerated to fill the backlog. But one commuter said the service was not great pre-pandemic and has only just got worse. Tim Josbury-Clark from St John's commutes for work and said a recent experience left him stranded at Birmingham New Street for hours. There were no issues going in from Fourgate Street, but I finished at around 12.30pm and went to New Street looking forward to getting home earlier. That's when it turned into utter chaos. The trains before I'd arrived had already been cancelled, so I was going to check if my train was cancelled. I spoke to the information desk and they said, ''Sorry, there's a shortage of train crew which is causing lots of problems with the trains.'' I asked when I would be able to get back home and I was greeted with a shrug of the shoulders. Eventually, I managed to find a train in the early evening which was stopping at Shrub Hill but a woman asked how she would get back to Morven and they said they were not really sure and left her. The 42-year-old said because of the cancellations the trains are often packed like sardines with no social distancing and called it a health risk. The service wasn't great pre-pandemic, but now it's in total chaos. It's my daughter's birthday on Friday, and I have to go to work, but I'm already worried I won't be able to get back in time. He added, West Midlands Railway should provide alternative transport for when trains are cancelled. For a lot of people, the alternative is going to be to get to work by car, but it would be more convenient for me to take the train, as well as taking into account the environmental impact. A West Midlands Railway spokesman said, We are sorry for the recent disruption to services between Worcester and Birmingham and the inconvenience this has been causing passengers. The disruption is due to a shortage of available drivers and is a direct result of the impact of COVID-19 on our training programmes. During the pandemic, we lost 25,000 training days, and have not been able to train our new staff as quickly as normal. Unfortunately, we will sometimes have no choice but to cancel. We urge anyone whose journey is delayed by 15 minutes or more to claim compensation through our delay repay scheme.
0: Thank you, Jane. That wraps up the headline stories. And now we'll look at some that are also to be found in this week's newspaper. And I'll start with a very short one. Headed Remembrance Tributes, which introduces a phrase that I must confess I've never come across before. A touching tribute to fallen soldiers has appeared on post boxes ahead of Remembrance Day and Armistice Day. A mysterious yarn bomber has placed the tribute on two Royal Mail post boxes along Northwick Road. The only clue to the identity of the person who created them is a note tied to each post box, which reads, I was made to spread some cheer for people walking past. And if you would, please leave me here so that the cheer can last. The first yarn-bombed post box is outside Northwick Manor Primary School, which has a crocheted soldier saluting on top of a field of poppies. The second is along Northwick Road at the corner with Beckett Road, where the mystery yarn-bomber has created a poppy wreath. Both bear the words, lest we forget. Yarn bombing is a type of street art, where people create colourful designs and leave them in public places, such as on bollards or fences.
1: Right. Um, OK, the next story is Flats' plan is thrown out. A plan to turn an empty city centre shop into flats was rejected by councillors. The building in Worcester's St Martin's Quarter, which was left empty by the closure of bargain shop Pound Stretcher, could have been converted into a mix of one and two bedroom flats under plans by developer Cedar Worcester. Worcester City Council's Planning Committee rejected the proposal at a meeting in the Guildhall on Thursday. Concerns were raised about the small size of the flats, lack of outdoor space and the loss of retail space in the city centre. Councillor Alan Amos also criticised the omission of parking spaces, saying that many people living in the city centre would still own a car and would need somewhere to leave it. Councillor Jenny Barnes said, I'm more worried about the amenity space. It has very small areas, which are mainly for bins and bike storage, so there's nowhere that people can go out, especially if they have children. The building fronts onto a busy shopping area where there's a lot of footfall. Councillor Pat Agar said she was not as worried by the lack of parking, but was concerned by the lack of outdoor space and people feeling uncomfortable in their own homes due to its location in a shopping area. Councillors voted in favour of minding to refuse the application, which means it will go back to the committee at a later date for a final decision. A decision was made by councillors rather than by the council's planning officers at the request of Councillor Lynn Denham over the principle of development, car parking, inappropriate use and lack of facilities and poor standard of accommodation for future occupants. The City's Poundstretcher store closed in September last year after the company went into administration. Part of the building is locally listed and most of it, Poundstretcher and Ladbrokes aside, has been empty for more than a decade and has failed to attract any interest. Betting shop Ladbrokes would also close to make way for the flats and no new parking spaces would be provided. Cedar Worcester said the coronavirus lockdown and rise in people working from home, as well as the drop-in footfall and increase in online shopping over a number of years, has made the units unattractive to potential retail tenants.
2: And here we have a story, um, £328,000 for the Cathedral. Worcester Cathedral has been awarded funding which will help protect priceless historic artefacts. The landmark is one of the 142 sites across the country to receive money from the Culture Recovery Fund, with £328,794 awarded to help repair the library. The first round of CRF funding was used to repair the roof and masonry, after staff reported water seeping in. This raised fears over priceless artefacts, including the will of King John and a 1225 copy of the Magna Carta. With funding from Phase 1 of the CRF, the team was able to fully overhaul and recover the roof of the anti-library and improve the temperature regulation in the conservation room. Home to the most sensitive artefacts in the cathedral. Phase two of the work will see the cathedral recover the lead roof of the library and improve the detailing and drainage and install a safety system to the roof for future work. In addition, some of the high roofs of the cathedral are in need of attention to stop water getting in. Estates manager Emily Draper said, I'm delighted by the news that our plan for Phase 2 of the Library Roof Works has been supported and funded by the Culture Recovery Fund. This work will make such a difference to the health of the main library and ensure we are protecting the precious collection for the future. It's wonderful that we can repair the tiles and give the south transept and south slope of the nave some much-needed love and attention too. I'm excited for the project to start and looking forward to being able to clip on to our new safety system and tour the upper roof spaces. Worcester Cathedral houses one of the most important libraries and archives of any English cathedral. It has collected manuscripts since the 7th century and now has the second largest collection of medieval manuscripts in any cathedral in the United Kingdom. It contains nearly 300 manuscripts, maps, plans, drawings, books and archives dating from the 10th century onwards and many still have their original bindings. The library also holds many early printed books and music, historical documents and, an- and ancient artefacts.
0: Right, now a story from Saturday's paper about some guys who are raising money. A pair of keen cyclists are spending Saturday in a Worcester brewery, but sampling some of the IPA, which is pale ale to you and me, will not be on the agenda. Military veteran Lee Cox, 52, from Worcester, will be embarking on a gruelling eight-hour bike-a-thon along with his wife Mandy, in aid of Scotty's Little Soldiers, a charity for bereaved British Force's children. The pair will be peddling on stationary bikes at the arch-rivals Micro Pub and Brewery, under their team name, Scotty's Riders, a charity-affiliated group of cyclists formed by Mr Cox. It consists of a mix of five military veterans who serve together and their friends and partners from across the country. Mr Cox said, we've got the bikes set up on a turbo and we'll be peddling away while people donate, hopefully. There'll also be a raffle on with various raffle prizes. Tickets are already on sale down at the Arch Rivals. We've got various auction prices that we can auction off as well, but that depends on how many people we get down there. He continued, Mike Davis, who owns the Arch Rivals, has been a great supporter for us and does a lot for the charity. So he's got a few of his normal crowd coming down, and hopefully we'll get a few extra people as well. Mr Cox said that the event on Saturday will also be used to promote their plans for next year when Scottie's Riders will be cycling all the way from Ypres in Belgium to Worcester, roughly a 260-mile journey. And they're not planning to stop there either, with further long-haul challenges planned for 2023 and 2024. It's only this last year that Scottie's Little Soldiers has allowed us to use the name Scottie's Riders, so we're now more of a recognised outfit. We've got our own cycling gear from scimitar Sports and we're working closely with Francor Events over in France. Through that, we're looking at rides for 2023 for the Rugby World Cup Memorial and in 2024, we've been invited over for the 80th anniversary of the D-Day landings. So we've got a ride for that as well. Some of the raffle prizes on offer include a remote-controlled Ferrari car, Axe throwing for two at Axe Junkies, and a West Bromwich Albion photo signed by Brian Robson. Right.
1: This story comes with two uh, rather dramatic photographs, presumably taken on someone's phone, to uh, illustrate what what was what actually happened in this case. Police say they have filed their investigation into a smash-and-grab theft that saw a man in his fifties struck by a car. Officers were called to an incident at the Cross just after 7.30pm on Monday, August the 23rd, where a man had a significant quantity of cash stolen from him. Horrifying footage later emerged showing him being hit by a vehicle while trying to retrieve the cash. A bystander described how one of the thieves burst into Ladbrokes and snatched the wallet from the man who had been sat at a betting machine before fleeing to a getaway vehicle parked outside. A member of staff at the Ladbrokes store said that CCTV footage had been passed to the police to help them catch the perpetrators, who the employee had seen acting suspiciously on the day of the theft. Police since stated that they've filed their inquiries pending any further investigative opportunities becoming available. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said there are no further lines of inquiry at the moment. This inquiry has been filed for the moment pending any further investigative opportunities becoming available. Speaking at the time of the incident, an eyewitness who asked to remain anonymous said... I was chatting with the poor chap in Ladbrokes right at the time when the grubby villain burst in and stole his wallet. It was literally a dash and grab because we were sat a few steps inside the door at the betting terminals. It appears he'd been lurking in and out of the shop all afternoon prior to me going in after I'd finished my shift at work. The witness described the events that unfolded after the theft as surreal, comparing what he'd seen to something out of an action movie. He leapt off his stool and chased out after them, but the robber managed to get into the car and shut the door before he could catch him, he added. He stood right in front of it and put his hands down on the bonnet, demanding they hand him his wallet back. Time seemed to stand still. I had my hands on my head in shock, thinking that he was probably going to get run over standing right in front of their path to getting away. But then the driver decided to go into reverse and that's when he clung onto the bonnet. That was the absolute surreal bit. He, the driver, reversed back, with him sprawled over the front of the bonnet, clinging on for dear life, maybe 50 yards back before stopping. And then the car launched forward, throwing the man off. After knocking the man to the floor... The thieves then sped off through two red lights as they rushed to flee the scene. The victim was taken to hospital by paramedics after suffering a fracture to his ankle and the two photographs are of this man
2: on the bonnet of the car. Mm. And now we have a controlling man attacking his wife on Wednesday, November the 3rd. A controlling husband attacked his own wife, spent her money on drugs and told her she would have to go back to Pakistan. Naveed Hussein of Team Road, Worcester, was not sent to jail, but only because he had spent the equivalent of close to a twenty month prison sentence whilst waiting to learn his fate. The twenty nine year old admitted controlling and coercive behaviour between April the first last year and January the twenty second this year, and assault occasioning actual bodily harm on January the twenty second this year. His wife now no longer wants to see him and an indefinite restraining order was made preventing him from having contact with her directly or indirectly. Hussein's behaviour included taking her house keys and mobile phone, making threats to her family in Pakistan and telling her she would have to return to Pakistan. Raj Punia, prosecuting, said it was the victim's manager who called the police when she arrived at Worcestershire Royal Hospital with minor but visible physical injuries. She explained how the couple had planned a trip to Birmingham when he changed his mind and told his wife he was going to visit his ex-partner elsewhere instead. He asked for her house keys and told her she was not allowed to leave the house, picked up her bank card and phone off the bed and said she would be staying in the house, said Miss Poonia. The assault involved him slapping her to the back of the head, pulling her hair, and grabbing her by her left shoulder, and pushing her against the door, causing the door to break. She reported injuries to her neck and shoulder. The victim also described how he sent her out of the house, demanding her house keys. She refused, saying she paid the rent. He grabbed her and pushed her out of the door, said the prosecutor. Ms Punia said the defendant left the key in the lock and later climbed out of the window because he knew she did not have a key. She was saying he made threats to harm her family back in Pakistan if she did not do as she was told, took her money and spent it, she said. Other assaults were also disclosed, including that he squeezed her neck with both hands while she questioned him about his relationship with a previous partner. On another occasion, the victim described an argument being witnessed by a passer-by who asked her if she was all right. The victim also described how he would spend her money on drugs or on his own children from his previous relationship. When arrested, Hussein initially denied that he had assaulted her in any way, stating he'd never hit her and had never gone through her phone the defendant had 11 convictions for 22 offences, including offences for assault and criminal damage against previous partners. At Worcester Crown Court, recorder Martin Butterworth made a community order for 30 months and ordered Hussein to complete an accredited programme of Building Better Relationships, 30 sessions. He was told he had to complete 100 hours of unpaid work A restraining order of indefinite length was also made, which prevents him from having contact, directly or indirectly, with the victim. Because of the defendant's history of domestic violence against previous partners, the Worcester News requested a custody photograph of Hussein. On the grounds, it was in the public interest to protect any potential future partners. However, West Mercia Police declined the request, on the grounds that their policy for releasing custody images requires a defendant to be given at least a year's custodial sentence.
0: Our next story is uh, one from Thursday, November the 4th, which is today, of course, parent protesters outside County Hall. A mum who has faced repeated battles to secure the right education for special needs children in Worcestershire led a protest against a council on the day that it was inspected by Ofsted. Tracy Winchester, who has repeatedly called for more support for children like her two sons, both of whom are autistic, led a group of parents to County Hall ahead of the inspection. She said, We would just like the improvements that we need and our children deserve in our county. In some respects, things seem worse than in 2018, and the little improvements noted by some families seem to be completely overshadowed by the continued utter disregard of children's needs in other cases. The culture is overwhelmingly toxic and money-orientated. It's no wonder there's such a high staff turnover. The protest coincided with the visit of the Care Quality Commission and Ofsted and saw a group of people with placards showing messages for the council. One read, My 14-year-old has autism and an education and health care plan, but no education for two years, no suitable placement and no local authority caseworker. In 2018, the CQC and Ofsted conducted a joint inspection of Worcestershire to judge the authority's effectiveness in implementing the special educational needs and disability reforms as set out in the Children and Families Act of 2014. Identified failings included lack of strategic direction from leadership... Children and young people who have SEN, that's Special Educational Needs, and or disabilities are not provided with the quality of support and service to which they are legally entitled. It also found overwhelmingly negative relationships with parent carers and families, poor quality education, health and care plans, rising numbers of children uh, with SEND, school exclusions, and inefficient and untimely referral and assessment process for autistic spectrum disorder. Responding to the protest, Cabinet Member for Education, Councillor Marcus Hart, said he understood the frustration of parents and assured them that the council was working to improve. He said, We understand how serious and frustrating it is for all involved when children are not accessing the right type of education or a level of support that allows them to reach their full potential. We have worked hard alongside our schools to ensure that we understand and support individual needs to prevent this from happening. And if a child should find themselves not accessing an appropriate school, we have made improvements to reduce the impact of this for our children. We take the experiences of children and families very seriously, he continued, and know that we need to continue our improvement journey to ensure that we are able to sustain changes and continue to develop our support for families across the partnership. We hope that present carers will share where they have experienced improvements and provide feedback where things still need to get better.
1: Right, <clears throat> a super-fit nurse at a Worcester small animal hospital has completed an incredible hundred-kilometer ultramarathon to raise money for the Great or- Ormond Street Hospital for Children. Sharon Allen, a registered vet nurse and hydrotherapist at Brentnall Veterinary Centre in Worcester, <clears throat> covered the gruelling route from Oxford to Wiltshire in 21 hours. Her epic trek helped raise £1,425 for the world-famous West London Children's Hospital and she's already pledged to do it all over again next year. Sharon teamed up with sister-in-law Georgina Bailey-Allen for the event and Sharon said, I just feel incredibly proud of what we've achieved on our journey. We came out of our comfort zone and completely pushed the boundaries. Call us crazy but we can't wait to sign up for next year. We're both delighted that we've raised so much money for Great Ormond Street, which will be used to transform the health and well-being of children and young people. The ultramarathon was called Race to the Stones and followed the ancient route of the Ridgeway from Oxford across the Chilterns and the North Wessex Downs to finish at Avebury Stone Circle. Sharon added, it was a fantastic, well-organised event by the Threshold Trail Series, with pit stops every 10 to 15 kilometres, brimming with energy drinks, energy bars, fruit, sandwiches, tea and lots of chocolate, which was definitely the highlight of the journey. We did it in two sections. After 50 kilometres, we arrived at the halfway stage, relieved to have made it this far and happy to reunite with our families and settle in amongst the hustle and bustle of tired and euphoric runners and walkers. We huddled around the fire pit as the sun was setting, but we couldn't allow ourselves to feel too cosy as it was soon time to transition to stage two. We'd already walked 32 miles and now had to do it again, already tired but now heading out into the darkness. There were two pit stops along the way, about three hours apart. On the menu at 1am was porridge and marmite sandwiches and at 4am it was vegetable soup, peanut butter and jam sandwiches. Finally, at the finishing line, there were tears of joy, shock and disbelief. The hours, weeks and months of training were defined in that moment. The realisation that you can absolutely do what you set your mind to. It's funny looking back, I used to think 10 miles was a long way, but when we reached that point, there was still so far to go. We hit 18 miles, then completed a marathon, then two marathons. I thought to myself, how can this be possible? but with sheer grit and determination we just kept walking and sure enough we made it to 100 kilometres. Linnaeus owned Brentnall Veterinary Centre is based in Whittington Road, Worcester.
2: And here we have Worcestershire's role in the gunpowder plot, which of course is the 5th of November, which is uh, tomorrow. Muskets, powder and shot stockpiled in Worcestershire cellars, horses hidden in isolated country barns, and the whispered talk of treason held in secret meeting. This is the story often forgotten when we celebrate Bonfire Night on November the 5th. The plotters were led by Robert Catesby and met in sleepy Worcestershire, where a great many Catholics lived at the start of the 17th century. Arrangements were also made in London, where this most serious crime was going to play out. If everything went to plan... Guy Fawkes, the war veteran, explosives expert and mercenary, would have succeeded in killing King James I or Sixth of Scotland, the same king who would go on to gift the city of Worcester an important charter in 1621, something we're celebrating this year with Charter 400. Once the deed was done, during the state opening of Parliament in 1605, Catesby and his fellow plotters would start a violent rebellion across the Midlands, culminating with the young Princess Elizabeth being made a puppet monarch. Catholicism would be re-established in England, religion was a delicate subject, and had been the cause of many rebellions, invasion threats and civil unrest ever since Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church. Worcestershire was one of the counties that had a great many powerful Catholic families and in many cases their fine homes still stand today. Many of these families continued to worship secretly from makeshift chapels in their homes. The Habington family lived at Hindlip Hall, the Wintours at Huddington Court and the Littletons at Hagley Hall. The beautiful Harvington Hall was owned by the Packingtons. Harvington Hall has the largest collection of priest holes in Britain. Priest holes were used to hide priests who illegally held services in Catholic homes. Nicholas Owen was the architect of these secret hiding places. Members of the Worcestershire Mil- Militia and state officials watched these homes and searched them regularly in a hope of catching a priest. Guy Fawkes had been discovered in the cellars of the Houses of Parliament in the early hours of November the 5th, 1605. He was hiding next to a pile of firewood, which was concealing 36 barrels of gunpowder. As the details of the plot unravelled, mainly from torturing Guy Fawkes, Sir Richard Walsh, the Sheriff of Worcestershire, was tasked to search for those who had been planning an uprising nearby. Richard Walsh, uh, uh, sir Richard Walsh mustered the Worcestershire militia who travelled across the midlands on a manhunt this armed force numbered 200 men and on november the 8th 1605 this band had surrounded holbeach house in staffordshire where a small band of desperate and injured men were hiding sir richard walsh tried to talk the men out peacefully but failed the men prayed together threw open the door and ran into a hail of lead musket balls. As the gunpowder smoke began to clear, several men lay screaming in pain on the damp grass. Thomas Percy and Robert Catesby has been brought down by the same lead bullet, fired by John Street, a Worcestershire man, and a long-serving member of the militia. The wounded men were holding swords and daggers, which were quickly kicked to one side, and the men arrested. being involved in what would become one of the most famous assassination attempts in history, the gunpowder plot of 1605. Humphrey Littleton, John Wintour, Rafe Ashley, a man called Perks, and even a Jesuit priest, Father Oldcorn, our own blessed Edward Oldcorn in fact, had all been arrested in Worcestershire and held in the city of Worcester. They were tried, and found guilty of treason. They were dragged backwards on sleds pulled by horses from the old castle where King's School now stands. The procession travelled under Sidbury Gate and up London Road, and when they reached Red Hill, they were given a traitor's death. They were hanged within an inch of their lives, disembowelled, and their privy parts removed and burnt in front of them. The grisly scene ended with their beheading and quartering in front of a crowd who had followed them from the city walls to the infamous hill above the city, where a memorial cross still stands.
0: Wow, some story. Hotspots in city areas, this one's called, and it's from last Friday's. Several parts of the city have been singled out as Covid hotspots due to a surge in new cases. A total of 70 new cases were recorded in Dines Green and St John's in Worcester in the week up to October the 22nd, the highest in the city. The rising cases in the week saw the area's infection rate rise to 801 cases per 100,000 people and just moved into Public Health England's highest COVID hotspot category. The second highest number of cases were recorded in Lower Wick and Bromwich Road at 49, giving the area an infection rate of 604 cases per 100,000 people. A total of 41 cases were recorded in Lippard Grange, almost double the, the number recorded in the previous week. Just outside the city, Fernal Heath and Ombersley had one of the highest infection rates in the county, at 1,040 cases per 100,000 people. The number of new cases doubled in the week compared with the previous seven days to 74. Public Health England figures show 3,331 new cases were recorded in Worcestershire in the week up to the 22nd of last month, a rise of 7% compared to the week before. New cases increased by 8% in Malvern Hills to 307, 6% in Witchavon, which includes Evesham, Pershaw and Droitwich to 737.
1: Journalist Robert Peston is calling on solicitors in Worcestershire to sign up to a charity campaign this November as the pandemic has left hundreds of local people waiting to write a will. Some 49% of people in the UK do not have a will and the coronavirus pandemic has seen a surge in demand for help from local solicitors. The annual Will Aid campaign is helping meet the demand, but more support is needed from local firms who are receiving hundreds of inquiries from across the county. The campaign not only helps both regular people up and down the UK communicate their wishes after death, but also nine of the country's most loved charities. Taking place every November, it's so far raised more than £21 million for ActionAid, Age UK, British Red Cross, Christian Aid, NSPCC, Save the Children, Sight Savers SCIAF and Trocare since its launch in 1988. Firms taking part offer their time and expertise to the campaign for a suggested voluntary client donation of £100 for a single will or £180 for a pair of mirror wills. Robert Peston, who supported the campaign following the deaths of his wife and father, said he would like to see more firms get involved this year. He said, Getting involved in will aid not only helps protect someone's wishes, but helps vulnerable people across the UK access the support they need. Writing a will can be an upsetting experience, but it helps to ease pain and disruption, something so many of us have experienced throughout the coronavirus pandemic. I would urge solicitors in Worcestershire to get involved this year and help more people through these exceptional times we find ourselves living in. Peter Devina Franks, campaign director for Will Aid, said, Will Aid provides solicitors a fantastic opportunity to help transform the lives of thousands of vulnerable people through our charity partners, and I urge more firms in Worcestershire to get involved this November.
2: This is a young man towards stealing a bike is a change of gear. An arsonist has made a return to court this time for stealing a bike. Lewis Harrington wrote to the owner of the bike saying he was sorry but was ordered to pay compensation to the victim. The 24-year-old of Coal Hill, Worcester admitted theft of a pedal cycle when he appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court. Elizabeth Blacklock, prosecuting, told magistrates the offence had occurred on March the 23rd. The complainant states that he was visiting a friend in Angel Place with his girlfriend at about 3pm, the prosecutor said. He secured their bikes with a special bike security on railings and used a bike lock to secure both bikes together. That evening, they realised that both bikes were not where they had left them. One of the bikes was left round the corner, but Marceau Ribeiro's bike was missing. He said he was so upset his friend had to call the police to report it. The prosecutor explained the couple's bikes were their main force of transport and Mr Ribeiro was forced to use his girlfriend's bike to get to work. She couldn't go to work and as a result she lost her job, Miss Blakelock said. The prosecutor said Harrington wrote a letter in June to the victim that said, Sorry, I took your bike. I don't do this anymore. P.S. I went through a bout of psychosis and needing medication for it. She added a previous convictions involved shoplifting in 2016, while the most recent offending was possession of an offensive weapon in January 2018. When the paper reported on that case, Harrington was also in court for committing arson on a reckless basis. Magistrates heard them then how Harrington tried to set fire to a toilet roll holder in the Flagg Public House in Lowersmore because he was bored. Harrington was given a 16-month prison sentence, suspended for two years on that occasion. In his latest court appearance, Harrington represented himself and Chairman of the Magistrates' Bench, Trevor Higginbottom, asked whether there was anything he wanted to say. Harrington shook his head before replying no. When asked if the probation could assist, the Probation Service Representative Jane Stewart said, he's previously known. He complied with what was required of him. I note there are sufficient mental health issues and I would encourage you not to involve probation again. His mother, who had accompanied Harrington and sat at the back of the court, was then asked by the chairman if she had any information which might be of help to them. The woman replied, Only what my son wants me to say, which is nothing. Harrington was fined £120 and ordered to pay the compensation of £60, the cost of the bike, to the victim. He was also told to pay the victim's surcharge of £34 and costs of 185 The total, 399 was ordered by magistrates to be deducted from his benefits at a rate of £20 per month.
0: Right. Monday. Allotments targeted. More than 50 sheds have been broken into at allotment sites in Worcester during two break-ins this week, prompting a call for heightened security. Windsor Avenue allotments were broken into on Sunday, October 24th, with the vandals then returning two nights later. Worcestershire County Councillor Richard Udall has said not a lot was stolen, but an extensive amount of damage was caused. He said, Allotments have always been vulnerable to break-ins, but the sustained attack is unprecedented. Allotment holders work long and hard to care for their allotments. They don't deserve to be attacked in such a despicable way. The parasites who are responsible need to be caught. Anyone with information, I would urge to come forward and share it with us. He added, A number of items of equipment have been taken, mostly lawnmowers and cultivators. However, the biggest problem was the damage caused. Over 50 sheds were broken into, doors and gates were broken, and at least one polytunnel was damaged. As a result, Councillor Udall has launched a petition which he intends to present to the Environmental Committee and Worcester City Council this week in an effort to increase security at the site. He said... As local councillors, we are determined not to give in to such illegal activity. We will seek extra resources to beef up security and to protect the property of allotment users. I hope the City Council will take the advice from the police and will invest in measures to protect allotments across the city. We would like to see better security, improved locks and gates and lighting. The police have made some security suggestions, which we would like to see being adopted. It also appears concerns regarding security are felt elsewhere. A tenant at another site in Worcestershire has spoken of how he has spent more than four years trying to get the council to improve fencing and gateways. They said, I have tried many ways to get this progressed, but seem to run into some kind of block or stone wall at every turn.
1: (coughs) DJ Scott Mills has revealed his love for an annual festive event in Worcester on Radio 2's Pop Master. Mills was standing in for Ken Bruce on the radio show when he welcomed a contestant from Worcester onto the popular radio. While talking to Sarah Lewis, a primary school teacher from the city, Mills revealed he loved the Victorian Christmas Fair. He said, I used to spend a lot of time in Worcester. I used to love it. They have that Victorian market, the Christmas market there, which is like a month long, isn't it? Contestant Sarah spoke of her love for her hometown, saying, yes, it is a good little market. It's a great place to live, actually. There's lots of nice things going on here. Yeah, I love it, added Mills. A spokesman for Worcester Victorian Christmas Fair said, We're delighted to hear that Scott Mills is a fan of the Victorian Fair and we'd love to invite him to visit this year between Thursday, December the 2nd and Sunday, December the 5th. Sarah revealed she wanted to beat her sister Fiona, who only scored three on the show previously. The primary school teacher, however, managed to equal her sister, answering questions about the Bangles, George Michael and Rod Stewart. She was up against Thomas Leeming from Lancashire who won, who won with 27 points. Sarah gave a shout out to her parents, sister and brother and husband as well as staff and students at Holy Trinity School and all the girls in First Clane's Guides. Worcester Victorian Christmas Fair will be bringing festive stalls, fairground rides and entertainment to the City Centre from Thursday, December the 2nd. The four-day event will come to a close on Sunday, December the 5th. This year there will be almost 200 stalls across the City Centre selling local arts and crafts, delicious street food and gifts. Victorian characters will be hanging about in Gin Lane, while shoppers will also spot entertainers on stilts and musical performances. Also returning for 2021 is the popular fun fair with Carousel and Big Wheel. You can listen back to the show on the BBC Sounds app.
2: And this is about a um, a heckler spitting at theatre staff. A house manager at a Worcester theatre was spat at and pushed and shouted at by an audience member who was asked to stop heckling the actors the house manager at worcester theatres was pushed aggressively verbally assaulted and spat at during a recent performance of seven drunken nights on sunday october the twenty fourth They had politely asked the audience member to stop disturbing other patrons during a performance by heckling the artists on stage and behaving in a disruptive manner. Chief Executive Sarah Jane Morgan called the attack completely unacceptable. A Worcestershire Theatre spokeswoman said, The attack on a member of our staff was completely unacceptable. Nobody should have to face abuse when they're doing their job especially being spat at, given the current circumstances we're all facing. And this is at the Swan Theatre, by the way. Fortunately, this is a rare experience and not something we come across often. The individual was dealt with by our fantastic team and by other patrons and had a great experience watching the event. This issue aside, we've had a fantastic response from all patrons when returning to our theatres since we opened. There's a real buzz and a newfound appreciation for live events which we love to see. We have so much to look forward to over the winter season and we're currently working on the release of our next brochure, which is jam-packed with a huge variety of performances. Worcester Theatre's pantomime Beauty and the Beast at the Swan opens later this month and the theatre has had a high demand for tickets after the last pantomime could not go ahead in 2020. The production of Beauty and the Beast will be the first Worcester Repertory Company pantomime, directed by the talented Paul Milton, Cheltenham's Everyman's creative director. We're immensely excited to deliver our family favourite pantomime this year and welcome new audiences through our doors, added the spokeswoman. Beauty and the Beast opens at the Swan Theatre on Tuesday, November the 30th
0: and runs
2: until no- Sunday, January the second. Tickets are available to book at worcestertheatres.co.uk or when calling the box office on 01905 611 427.
0: Sting of eviction sees hives moved. A beekeeper has had to move his hives almost fifty miles after bees stung a dozen people. Worcestershire County Council told the beekeeper in August that he needed to remove his hives from the countryside centre where he had kept them for 15 years. Following several weeks of emails, calls and meetings, the beekeeper has now removed his hives, taking them 45 miles away to Herefordshire. The beekeeper said, Moving hives at this time of year is possible but far from ideal and certainly not best practice for a number of reasons. I'm grateful to Worcestershire County Council for allowing me to site my hives at the Countryside Centre, just sad that this had to come to an end. I moved the hives to Herefordshire, into the only available location I have in the time available. Earlier this month, the beekeeper met with the council, where he was told to vacate the Countryside Centre by the end of the week, and, he alleges, was promised three nearby locations which never came to fruition. The council said its decision to evict the hives came after a dozen people were stung, with the beekeeper having broken certain rules. A spokesman said Worcestershire County Council has been in communication with the beekeeper for several weeks following multiple incidents where members of staff, the public and volunteers were stung, as a result of the beekeeper refusing to follow agreed site rules. There have been at least twelve people stung and a decision has been made that the beehives must be moved from the countryside centre to an alternative location. Despite the incident, the council has reaffirmed that it is working hard to support the bee population in Worcester. The spokesman added, Worcestershire remains a pollinator-friendly county and undertakes the management of its countryside sites in a way that is beneficial for native pollinators such as bumblebees and solitary bees and wasps as well as domestic honeybees which live in managed hives.
1: Right. Um, Two balaclava-clad thieves stole around £1,500 worth of makita power tools from a Droitwich tradesman during a late-night van raid. The thieves struck at around 2.40am on Thursday, cutting through the reinforced door of his van to make off with the tools. He managed to catch a full seven-minute video of the pair in action, who brazenly continued the break-in despite the presence of two cameras and security lights. And the tradesman, who asked not to be named, says he's been left almost £4,000 out of pocket. I have a full seven-minute video of them in action from start to finish, she said. They stole about £1,500 worth of Makita power tools. The damage to the van is costing me £250 excess and I'm losing my no claims. I've had to take a few days off work as I'm waiting for tools to arrive and for the van to be made safe. So all in all, not much change out of about £4,000. A spate of van break-ins has swept across Worcester and Droitwich over the past few days. Officers from West Mercia Police said they're carrying out patrols in the Dynes Green and St John's area after several thefts were reported. Plenty of Droitwich residents also took to social media to report that they'd also been struck by van thieves last night. One resident reported seeing two men attempt to break into a car in the Westlands area at around 10.30pm last night before driving off in a white transit van. West Mercia Police has asked people to remove any valuables, especially power tools, from their vehicles overnight. If If valuables cannot be removed, West Mercia Police is urging people to store them in secure containers mark property using overt marking and fit extra-high security locks to vehicles.
2: This is called the End for Home plan. Um, A contentious plan to turn a former workshop into a new home looks to have been scrapped. Several attempts for permission to convert an old carpentry workshop behind a home in Seabright Avenue in Worcester have been rejected over the years, and a new plan shows the battle looks to have come to an end. Under the new plan, the existing two-bed home would become a larger three-bed home, with a two-storey workshop converted to four new rooms. The plan has proved controversial since first being put forward in early 2020, mainly over fears the work would add to parking problems in the busy and cramped residential street residents and local councillors spoke out against the plan with the County Council's Highway Department, saying the work should not be allowed to go ahead as it did not provide enough parking space. The plan was eventually rejected by Worcester City Council's Planning Committee with councillors going against the recommendation of planning officers who said it should be given the go-ahead. An appeal was then made to the Government's Planning Inspectorate in an attempt to get the rejection overturned, but was dismissed, with the inspector agreeing with the council that the plan would add to parking woes. Planning inspector Rachel Wormsley said she had seen the parking problems during a visit to Seabright Avenue and allowing another home to be built would cause more issues. Another plan to convert the workshop into a home was also rejected by the council in September last year. Highways officers in Worcestershire County Council have not objected to the most recent plan, saying that a two-bed to three-bed conversion does not need any more parking spaces than are currently in place under its planning rules. Several neighbours in Seabright Avenue, Camp Hill Avenue and London Road had objected to the earlier workshop plans, saying allowing the work to go ahead would also invade their privacy. The latest plan can be viewed via the planning section of Worcestershire City Council's website and the application number is 21-00954-HP and public consultation ends on November 16th.
0: Sewage next. The MP for Worcester has defended the government's decision to turn down an amendment that would stop water companies releasing raw sewage into Britain's waterways. Robin Walker was one of 268 MPs who rejected the change to the Environment Bill, a decision which has been met by much criticism. The House of Lords has since forced a climb down with a 153 majority. Despite the backlash, Mr Walker believes the decision was in the best uh, interests of his constituents. He said, I could assure you that nobody voted to enable or encourage the discharge of raw sewage. The reason why government voted against the amendment was that it was trying to legislate immediately for something that cannot be realistically delivered in an instant, and this could have had negative and unforeseen consequences. One such consequence, Mr Walker noted, was increased water bills, resulting from increased fines to water companies. He added, currently water companies discharge sewage and excess rainwater as a way of coping with flooding to prevent it backing up into people's homes. In a city like Worcester, where unfortunately we experience flooding more than most, this would mean that if the amendment had passed, there would be a greater chance of homes being flooded with sewage, not a lesser, as the water companies would have no legal means to relieve this pressure. The current Environment Bill requires the Government to have a plan to reduce storm overflows, considering the costs and benefits of eliminating them entirely by September 2022. It also requires water companies to monitor and publish the water quality impacts of discharges, and for £3.1 billion to be spent on reducing sewerage in waterways. Mr Walker added that the amendment put forward by the Duke of Wellington would cost somewhere between 150 and £600 billion pounds and would require complete separation of the sewage system. I have every confidence, he said, that the provisions in the Environment Bill will absolutely deliver progressive reductions in the harm caused by overflows and any suggestion to the contrary is both disingenuous and untrue. I'm proud that this government has published and is taking through an environment bill which will continue the work that my late father started as the world's first environment secretary. I am confident that this bill will help to improve our environment, protect our waters and achieve our decarbonisation goals.
1: Right. Specialist crews were called upon to recover a jackknifed lorry left in a dangerous position on the M5. Police completely closed the motorway between Junction 4 and Junction 3 northbound just after 10am on Saturday, due to the crash. The incident caused damage to the carriageway as well as 200 litres of diesel to be spilt, requiring a clean-up operation to be put in place. Pictures show how the lorry smashed through the crash barrier on the side of the motorway before hitting the verge behind it. A lamp post was also damaged, which police say could have dropped onto the carriageway. Traffic built steadily during the incident as fire crews and highways officers looked to make the carriageway safe again. Further closures were put in place at the M5, Junction 5 northbound, M42, Junction 1 southbound and M5, Junctions 4 and 5 entry slips to ease trapped traffic. Queues tailed back as far as Droitwich, before the route was reopened, just after two p.m.,
2: a drunk man who threw a bottle in a bloody, uh, a drunk man who threw a bottle in a bloody brawl, and left a chef with a lifelong scar, is not a danger to the public," says a Worcestershire judge. Nathan Simpson Etheridge was handed a suspended sentence at Worcester Crown Court on, for a fray after violence erupted in the city's Fourgate Street, despite the judge acknowledging that the victim was still suffering from the injury two years later. The 35-year-old threw a bottle which missed the victim, Nicholas Mezone, but smashed and cut open his arm during the incident on October the 4th, 2019. The Crown did not pursue a wounding charge in relation to the same incident, offering no evidence. Mr Mizone will receive no compensation because of Simpson Etheridge's limited means. Howry reported the sentence. The victim's injuries were so serious he permanently lost the feeling in his arm and will be scarred for life and had to stop working as a chef and take lower paid work. Mr Mazone was taken to a hospital by ambulance and required stitches for a deep five centimetre to six centimetre cut to his forearm. He later attributed his Bell's palsy, facial muscle weakness or paralysis, to the attack. Recorder Martin Butterworth sentencing said Simpson Etheridge was very drunk on his own admission at the time of the attack. The court heard that the defendant had 29 convictions for 49 offences, including dangerous driving. He said, You threw a bottle which broke and caused a serious injury to a man's arm, an injury from which he is still suffering. The judge described the cut as a deep laceration to his arm-exposing muscle and which required an orthopaedic referral. However, he added, I acknowledge and it's accepted that the bottle wasn't aimed directly at this man. It was deployed in the course of an affray. Drunken violence in the street at night is what it amounted to. You have previous convictions for violence, although a lot of the offending has been to do with cars. Recorder Butterworth told the defendant the case fell into the most serious bracket in the sentencing guidelines in terms of culpability and the offence was aggravated by his bad record. However, the judge factored in a report from a probation officer who had interviewed Simpson Etheridge and said he had expressed a wish to change. You have a child who I'm told you want to provide for if you can, although the fact you've lost your licence due to other offences is hindering that desire, said the recorder Buffleworth. He went on to describe how the defendant had shown compliance while on licence and had convinced and had completed a thinking skills programme, and Simpson Etheridge had reflected maturely about your life and future. And there are indications that you are someone who could represent a realistic prospect of rehabilitation. Appropriate punishment need not only be achieved by immediate custody. It is possible to punish you in the community. You don't have a record of poor compliance with court orders. I don't regard you as posing a risk or danger to the public. Simpson Etheridge was sentenced to 70 weeks in prison, suspended for two years. An alcohol abstinence monitoring requirement was also imposed for 90 days. This means he will be fitted with a tag which monitors if he's consumed any alcohol. No unpaid work order was made, but he must complete 30 rehabilitation activity requirements. Recorder Butterworth said the order would be a challenging one for the defendant.
0: Thank you, Jane. We'll conclude our look at the news now with a brief survey of some local sport. And we'll start, perhaps rather unseasonably, with some cricket. Paul Pridgen believes it is only a matter of time before Jake Libby's superb form for Worcestershire's cricket club is recognised at international level. Libby has enjoyed two excellent seasons since his move from Nottinghamshire and he finished as the second highest run scorer in the entire country in both the years that he has been here. He also managed that feat in the Bob Willis Trophy in 2020 and the LV Insurance County Championship in 2021. For those two summers, Libby's combined figures in Red Bull cricket total 1573 runs at an average of 5617 Now, anything over 50 is regarded as very good. And he also scored five centuries. The opener has not been included in the English Lions squad for this winter's trip to Australia, but Pridgin, Worcestershire's cricket steering group chairman, believes that he will eventually get the call from the selectors. He said, Jake has had two great years at Worcestershire, being prolific and consistent in that most challenging of roles for a batter opening the innings. He has become the rock that the innings has been built upon many times in red ball cricket but also showed his worth in T20 and 50 over cricket where incidentally they use a white ball and hence the red ball phrase. But I believe it will not be long before he gets international recognition and it would be fully deserved if that happens.
1: Right, football now. Worcester Raiders have strengthened their options at both ends of the pitch with the capture of former Walsall, Rushall Olympic and Redditch United striker Conor Deards, and former Kidderminster Harriers defender Harrison Yates. Both went straight into the squad for last night's game against FC Stratford at six ways. Predatory frontman Deirdre, who's 28, worked under current Aston Villa manager Dean Smith during his time at the Bescott Stadium and has since made a name for himself in step three and four of the non-league pyramid. We're over the moon to have completed the signing of Connor, who was wanted by a whole host of clubs at step five and four, said Worcester joint manager Mark Owen. Connor decided that this was a great opportunity for him. He's a strong, intelligent footballer who will be brilliant for us, not only on the pitch, but a massive asset off it too. He demands high standards of others, and he's a big signing for the football club. Deards, who makes the switch to six ways from Bedworth United, said he was delighted to have put pen to paper on a deal as the Worcester club looks to move into the top four with victory. I'm thrilled to have signed for, for Worcester Raiders, a club that is in progressive and ambitious, said Deards, When I spoke to Mark Owen, I was really impressed with his plans and the direction in which he wants to take the club. I can't wait to pull on the Worcester shirt and help the team. Raiders made it a double swoop yesterday with former kiddie under-23 defender Harrison Yates, also agreeing terms. The six-foot-two-inch centre-back brings significant experience to the club, despite only being 21. Yates has cut his teeth within the professional environment, having risen through the ranks at kiddie. We're delighted to bring in Harrison, who joins us from Starport Swifts, said joint manager Owen. He's quick, mobile, is good on the ball, which
2: will help the way we want to play. And is he on his way out? Reports suggesting an alleged dispute between Ashton and Worcester set to end in departure. Rumours are again circulating regarding winger Chris Ashton's future, or supposed lack of it, at Worcester Warriors. The Daily Mail reported at the weekend that legal procedures are underway between the club and player after a supposed fallout. Ashton has played just three and a half games for the club, having been given a seven-week ban at the back end of last season following a red card in the game versus Northampton Saints in March. The, 34, the 34-year-old has struggled with injuries since then, and a stuttering pre-season has meant he's yet to feature in this season. But in recent weeks... He's not been involved for reasons still unknown, although it is widely thought that he's serving out a suspension. Head coach Jonathan Thomas has reiterated in consecutive weeks that the former England winger is not available for selection without adding anything further.
0: Right. My second sports story isn't a local one, I must confess, but it's a nice story and a short one, so I thought I'd read it out. Emma Raducanu has revealed that she has presented her US Open trophy to the Lawn Tennis Association as a gift in recognition of their role in her development. The British number 1, 18, became the first British woman to win a singles Grand Slam title since Virginia Wade's 1977 Wimbledon triumph with her stunning run at Flushing Meadows in the summer, but she has not held on to the hardware. Raducanu said if you want to see it, it's at the National Tennis Centre in London. The LTA have done so much for me, so I just wanted them to have it as a sign and a thank you for everything they've done for me, helping me through all the young ages. They played a huge role in my development, so it's a gift.
2: And we're back with Worcester Warriors, whose head coach Jonathan Thomas was delighted post-match after his side responded to last week's nightmare at Worcester at Northampton Saints by securing a bonus point win over Sales Sharks. Worcester's Jamie Shilcock and Duhan van der Merle both scored a try each half to end a run of five Gallagher Premierships defeats and move into 10th in the table. Thomas admitted the build-up to the game had been different to normal and a focus on simple things proved to be a successful one. I'm just really delighted for the players. It's been a tough few weeks, but there's been a lot of great things happening at the club and we have some real adversity in recent weeks, but the results haven't been good enough and the boys were desperate to turn it around. We didn't talk much this week in terms of tactically or technically. We just talked about playing with soul and some warrior spirit and bringing great positive energy to the game. Thomas has said, Before that, confidence has been a big issue for this side, but now the Welshman hopes that the result can act as a platform to build on. The game is all about confidence and we haven't had much of that, he added. There's been lots of factors about what's been going on, but we needed to win and to win with a bonus point is huge. I'm not getting carried away, but this is something to build on. The game saw the return of England duo Ted Hill and Ollie Lawrence and they both had a big impact on the match on Saturday. Hill has been out for the last three games after being suspended following his red card in the defeat to Gloucester last month but returned to lead his sight to a win. Thomas admitted the team had missed their skipper. We've missed Ted big time, he said. He's one of the finest young players in the country and our captain. We've missed him and he was awesome today. And a massive shout out to Ollie Lawrence. How he played today, I've no idea. We're told that it was a 30-day injury, but he's back in seven days. He's unbelievable. A huge effort
0: from him. How nice to end with a win. Thank you, Jane. I'm going to ask Catherine now to read the thought for the week.
1: All right. Well, today's thought comes from Psalm 19, verses 1 to 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge.
0: Thank you. Sunrise and sunset for tomorrow. It's 11 minutes past 7 sunrise, and the sun will set at 33 minutes past four birthdays now and we're wishing a very happy birthday to josephine harris and to sally Bodie. and if we don't have your birthday and it does happen to be this week well many happy returns to you too but do let us know and we can include it on our list Well, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank tonight's readers, Catherine and Jane, and I'd like to thank John and Carol in the production team for all their efforts and wish you a good week ahead. So it's bye-bye from Catherine. Goodbye. And Jane. Bye. And from me, Phil, goodbye. And now we're going to read the obituaries. Pamela Joy Bridge passed away peacefully in Worcester Royal on October the eighth. The funeral service took place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November the third. Any inquiries, please contact A V Band on 01905 o one nine o five double two eight nine two. Mary Eastwood passed away at home on the thirtieth of September, twenty twenty one. The funeral service will take place on Wednesday, the 10th of November, at St John the Baptist Church in Crowell at 3 3 pm. No flowers by request, but donations, if desired, can be sent to the Salvation Army. All inquiries to AV band funeral directors, again Worcester 22892. June Evans passed away in hospital on the 21st of October. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium tomorrow at one forty five. Family flowers only please, but donations, if desired, for Acorn's Children's Hospice Trust may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery and Son sixty-eight to seventy Ombersley Road, Worcester WR three seven EU. Alan James Goadby died on the twentieth of october twenty twenty one. A memorial service has been provisionally arranged at Upton Parish Church on Friday the 19th of November at 12.30. Donations, if desired, for Prostate Cancer UK and Acute Respiratory Unit, cheques payable to WAH Charity, may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, that's H O W S E L. Malvern, Worcestershire, WR141TL and their phone number is 01684 892 777. Cecil Richardson passed away peacefully in, um, in Kington on the 25th of October. No service or flowers, please, but donations to Alzheimer's research on his behalf. Margaret Ryder died peacefully on September the 26th the funeral service is at the Wyre Forest Crematorium, Stourport on 7, and the postcode for that is DY138DE, and it was on Tuesday, November the 2nd at 12.30. Family flowers it was, but donations to Welland House Residents Comforts. All inquiries to Perry and Phillips Funeral Directors, telephone Bridge North 01746 765
2: and Bennett Leslie Joseph, known as Les, passed away peacefully at home on 20th of October 2021, aged 90 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, November the 19th at 1pm. Family files only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Alzheimer's Society may be placed in the collection box available at the service or sent directly to Fundraising Team, Alzheimer's Society, Scott SCOTT Lodge, Scott Road, Plymouth, PL2 3DU. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care 01905 22137. Booth Dorothy Joan passed away peacefully at the Furs Rest Home on Monday the 1st of November, aged 92. Previously lived at 40 Lansdowne Street, but there are no other details. Gibbon Antonia, née Iacovelli Nina, former co-proprietor of the St. Lawrence Hotel, Bath Road, and the Rio Cafe, New Street, Worcester. Passed away peacefully at the South Hayes Care Home on twenty third of October two thousand and twenty one, aged ninety four years. Requiem Mass will be offered at St George's Roman Catholic Church, Worcester, on Monday the eighth of November at ten a.m. many flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be sent directly to the charity or care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Oh one nine o five. Seven four eight eight one one, Hansen Joan, formerly Joan Soley, Nay Gusterton. Sorry, Nay Gusterson. Passed away peacefully in hospital on twenty eighth of October two thousand and twenty one, aged ninety six years. Funeral service at St John's Baptist Church, Clanes, on Thursday the eleventh of November at two thirty p.m. Followed by a committal at Worcester crematorium, family flowers only please, but donations if desired for the cystic fibrosis trust the p b c Foundation or the p c c of St John Baptist Church claims may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to e j Gummery and son sixty eight to seventy ombersley road worcester w r three seven e u Hill Harold, Happy Hill, sadly passed away, Worcestershire Royal Hospital, on 20th October 2021, aged 89. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 15th of November at 1pm. Family flowers only, please, donations if desired for the British Heart Foundation, which may be left at the service or sent... Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, Thirty Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. James Ronald passed away in hospital, eighth October 2021, age seventy-seven years. There are no other details. McGuinness, Mary Johanna Mary passed away on Saturday, the thirtieth of October 2021, age seventy years. Funeral service for Mary will take place on Friday, the 26th of November 2021, at Worcester Crematorium, 1 45 pm. All inquiries to AV band funeral directors. Telephone 01905 22892.